Welcome back in listeners to another wonderful episode of Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. We have a very special guest joining us today. We have the composer, lyricist, librettist, director, and producer, Larry Daggett, whose new show, Bullet Points the Musical, is playing at the Create Theater New Works Festival on June 10th at 7 p.m. and June 11th at 2 p.m. at Theater Row. You can get your tickets and more information by visiting newworksfestival.org. This is a very powerful and timely piece, a great show that we can't wait to be sharing with you. So why don't we go ahead and bring on our guest to talk more about it. Larry, welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's my great pleasure. Thank you for having me, Andrew. We have been discussing for the last little bit the the, the message and the meaning of the show. It's a very topical show. It's one, I feel like it's one of those topics that you maybe don't bring to a, a dinner party or whatever. But I mean, it's the elephant in the room. It needs to be spoken about. And I love that you were, you were not shying away from it in any form or fashion. In fact, you are putting it in a wonderful digestible form, the musical. Could you tell us a little bit about Bullet Points, the musical? Bullet Points is about the us versus them mentality that bifurcates our country. It's about trying to find, see, seeing things from the other person's point of view, even if it goes against everything that you believe in, in an attempt to try to bring both sides of an issue together long enough to find a compromise. Now, the word compromise has become a dirty word in American society. Now, you're either left or you're right. And if you're in the center, then you're hated by both sides. But the problem is, unless you're in the center, you're never going to bring enough votes from both sides to actually get anything done, which is where we have been for the past 30 years. Now, the, the subject matter is about a high school teacher who returns to work the same day as a school shooting and the effect that has upon her and her husband, who is a newly elected member of the Florida legislature, who is also very much into gun control, as is the teacher. But then something happens in her school where she believes that there's going to be another shooting, and she decides the only way to protect herself is to get a gun. And that, of course, completely pisses off her husband and everybody else that knows her. And so it's about a person who has to switch sides. She starts out on one side, then she goes back to the other side, and then she goes back to the previous, the first side that she had. And she tries to see things from both points of view. And uh, as I say in my show, if, if you meet in the middle, you'll both disappear. If you have both sides of this come together, that's the fear that both sides will disappear. Well, that's not true. The truth is that if we came together, we could actually get something done. Now, I was speaking to you earlier about this. I went to a high school with a great deal of gun and gang violence. Every day when we got to the gate, we were checked for weapons. Uh, sometimes the weapons made it inside the gate, even though they weren't supposed to. I know the effect that it can have upon a person's life and how it can change the way you see the world and alter the way that you see the world forever, if you've ever been through that sort of thing. Um, and so I felt that it was imperative that somebody addresses this problem. This is something that has become so prevalent in American society that people kind of just shrug their shoulders and say nothing can be done about this, which is not true. 80% of the American population wants there to be background checks. That includes people that own guns. Think of that, 80% want there to be, and the people that don't own guns, 90% want them to be background checks. But because a certain gun lobby and the, all the other people that have that much money are want to sell as many guns as possible, 
and are able to use their money for campaign purposes to give to candidates who will support their cause, this is not going to happen. So we need to find a way to discuss this. Um, one thing, as I was mentioning earlier, is to really look at the Second Amendment, which was about protecting the state against um, in, in, from the federal government, protecting the state uh, militia against the federal government coming in and taking over the state, because that's what happened with the British government. The, the crown came after the states. So that was the purpose of the Second Amendment. And I love James Madison. He was a great guy. Without him, there wouldn't have been a constitution. He really is, in some ways, the father of our country. But the Second Amendment, I'm sorry to say, pardon me, James, is not your best work. Because it, at the time, it made a lot of sense to phrase it that way. But what it really should say is a well-regulated militia being necessary for the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms within a state militia shall not be infringed. That's what it should be. And if that were true, then everybody who wants to own a gun can get a gun, but it has to be registered with the state militia. I mentioned this earlier, but I just think it bears repeating. And that's one thing that we could do. I mean, there are other things too. We really need to look at campaign financing and we really need to find a way to bring both sides together without calling each other names. And there are people who have told me that they would never do that. They would never talk to the other side. And I say to them, which is more important for you to be right or to stay, save students' lives? Which is more important to you? And they kind of hem and haw. They feel like they, their side should be right. And so does the other side. The other side feels the same way. But how are we going to come together if we don't compromise, Andrew? Tell me, because I, I don't see any other way. And that's the way it is with all of government. We've got to find a way to come together. Yes. Yes. I think you're exactly right. Without compromise, how can we expect to resolve anything? Otherwise, we're just spinning our wheels and 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 we're just going around in circles. And it's the same. It's the same song. It's the same dance. In the so, meantime, more more students die. Right. Yeah, that's the cost. That is truly the cost. Is that the price you're willing to pay? How did you come up with the idea for this show? Ah, that's an interesting question. <laughs> I do. I've been on Broadway and worked on a lot of large theaters, but when you do regional theaters, very often you work in very small theaters and there's just no way in the world that the price of a ticket can pay for all the expenses of running a theater. It's very pricey. You've got not only to pay for the actors, you've got to pay for the building and for the management and there's just a long list of people. So what they do is they have donations from people. They're called angels, angels who give sometimes as little as five hundred dollars or a thousand or five thousand or ten. And then they have different levels. And if you ever go to a regional theater and look in the program, you'll see all those names listed. And in order to thank those people who have contributed money, they have these events, these get to know the actor events where the actors are not compelled, but they're strongly advised and invited to go to these events where you meet these people who have seen you on stage and they come up and talk to you and they say, so what's it like to be an actor? And the, the conversation, Andrew, at these is always very polite. It's always very genteel. It's always about the weather or how do we fix potholes in the street? Or, you know, I love that color on you or something like that. And um, I will admit that I am leaning to the left uh, as far as politically. That's the way I am. And I was at one of these very genteel events with this woman and we were eating cucumber sandwiches or whatever they serve at these little petty fours and she was saying and she's a very nice lady with coiffed gray hair and a lovely pink suit and a corsage and everything and she said i hate donald trump and his supporters so much i want to 
line them up in front of an open trench and mow them down with a machine gun. Want a cookie? <laughs> and I thought, I thought, all of a sudden, I realized, I, I mean, it hit me between the eyes that the people on the left are just as trenchant as the people on the right. And there is no way, I, I, immediately when I thought, when she said that, an image flashed in my head from an eighth grade history textbook. I remember this of these Nazis who were going through France or someplace and they had lined up all the men in the town in front of an open di ditch. And as one of the Nazis was mowing them down with machine gun, the other guy was facing the camera, smiling, looking at the camera like, isn't this cool? We are ridding the world of these vermin. I'm going, oh, Jesus. And the problem is that now we don't see that at all. If we were to say, oh, I want to mow down all of Trump's and his supporters, people would nod and say, yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Or some people would. But if you were to say the same thing about Jews, people would say, wow, my God, what are you doing? That's awful. That's terrible. That's wrong. How could you say such a thing? And you would be right. But we don't see it because we're in the middle of it right now. So that is part of the reason why I came up with it. Another reason is, as I was mentioned earlier, because I went to a high school with so much violence. And I know what that's like to go through that. And I just... You know, as an American citizen, too, it is incumbent upon us to do all we can to make this country as good as we can. It's a workshop. It's not a done deal. And nothing is guaranteed. And unless we try to fix this problem, then it's never going to get better. And I want to make it very clear. This show is not a polemic and it's not a lecture. It's a roller coaster ride because you never know what this woman is going to do. She doesn't know what she's going to do. She's As she goes along in the show, she's saying, what the hell? How, how did I end up over here? And then how did I end up on the opposite side? Then how did I come back? It's because so many things happened to her as would happen to a school teacher. I mean, you, you yourself said that you were a teacher and you know how much time was spent on safety. And you have to imagine what it would be like if there was a shooter in your school and how that would affect you emotionally, physically, permanently, probably. And that's what happens to this teacher. And eventually she does find a way in the end to say, um, I have to find a way to compromise. I have to try my best to listen. That doesn't mean that I agree with the other side. That doesn't mean I'm going to switch to the other side. It means I will listen to them long enough and hopefully they will listen to me long enough to find a center ground, a center lane where we can come together and try to solve this problem. Otherwise we will forever be in two opposite lanes and like a cart with a horse at either end pulling in the opposite directions, it will move nowhere. That's where we are right now in our, in our country. I'm sorry, I wax forever. I'm very loquacious. That's no, no, I think that was brilliantly put. I love all that. That leads me kind of to, sort of leads me to my next question. I, I, I want to leave, preface it by asking, this is the world premiere of this show, right? Right. I've had numerous um, virtual readings of the show. But the problem with virtual readings is the audience is sitting at home in their little Zoom box on mute. And I know this is going to sound strange, but there is a lot of comedy in this show. And you're going to say, how can there be comedy in a show that involves this subject? And I say, whenever you have people who are desperate to get what they want and will do anything to get what they want, like certain parts of the gun lobby will do that, there will be comedy. And there's comedy involved in this, but without having a live audience, I don't know where it's landed. Now, I will say right before the pandemic, I did have one song from the show read in front of a live audience with a panel of judges. And we had about 40 people. They were all writers. And writers are usually pretty critical of other writers' work. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I would have done it differently. I would have said this. Um, 
And we did a song from the show and the laughter was so loud that you could almost not hear the actors. And one of the people on the panel said, this is the strangest topic I've ever thought of for a musical. I wouldn't do it myself, but who am I to disagree with so many others? So there is comedy to be found in here. And sometimes as is true in life, you have to laugh, otherwise you'll just cry. So there, there's also a lot of tears in here too. Um, it's kind of like life. In fact, I said the goal of my company, New Tune Entertainment, is to make you laugh, cry, and think all at the same time. It is to make you reconsider your position and to try to recalibrate it in such a way that it becomes uh, more operative towards finding a solution to a problem and not just sticking in the lane that you're comfortable in, but trying to move more towards the center, which is more uncomfortable because you, then you have to deal with people that you may not want to be with <laughs> or listen to, but you have to in the end, if we're going to come together and try to find a solution to this problem. Yes. So that that's kind of where I wanted to go and ask, as you've been navigating all this, all the current events going on, all the discussions going on, and your shows continue to take shape, and now you're putting it up for your world premiere, what has it been like developing this show? Well, development, when you're the book, music, and lyrics, is pretty much myself. <laughs> development included... Um, for me, I needed to, I'm, I'm the kind of writer to actually hear the music sung back at me and read back at me. Um, so what I did was I recorded the entire show myself with me singing all the, all the lines, all the harmonies, everything, and me doing all the dialogue, playing all the roles. There's seven characters in the show. This took forever, but I did it, and then I listened back to it, and I would go, oh, that part needs to be clarified. That part could be cut. That card part could be expanded. And then I would do another version of this and another version of this and another. And some of these songs have been rewritten 30, 40 times. So now is the first time it's going to be read. Uh, we just started rehearsals really yesterday. And in fact, I have to go to rehearsal soon today. But um, we just we just started hearing this out loud. And one of the actors said uh, something that has happened to me. He said to one of his friends, oh, I'm doing this musical and it's about gun violence at schools. And, and the other person said, oh, so it's nothing but weepy ballads. And he said, actually, no, it's. There's a lot of laughs in here. There's a lot of comedy. And again, people think that I'm making fun of the situation. I am not. It's just because sometimes you have to laugh to try to find a way to deal with all this tragedy. Yeah. What is the message or thought you're hoping that your audience takes away from the show? I think if we can leave the show thinking, yes, something can be done about this. Yes, it means that we have to find a center lane. In fact, um, there's a lyric near the end of the show, I'm going to read it for you, that the protagonist sings after going through all this different stuff. And she, there is a, an antagonist who is constantly trying to get her to go off on one side, to go off on the, uh, not the gun control side, but the gun rights side. And she sings, how do I find a center lane, one where I hear both sides explained, a road that I'd ride till the day I decide if I tried a new choice, that's my right, that's my voice. How do I find a path between, one that would last where both sides are seen? If I choose to pursue a new route that I found, I could see my, my way free to a new middle ground. How do I hear both points of view? How do I bend but not break in two? How do I choose without losing who I am or was or will be? How do I find that center lane? How do we both agree? So that's the song that she sings near the end where she's just trying to find a way to kind of 
collate and bring together both sides long enough to try to stitch together an agreement to at least lessen, if not diminish or eliminate the number of school shootings in America. That's beautiful. That What wonderful lyrics those are. Thanks. Finally, for this first part, I want to ask, who do you hope have access to the show? Well, I hope eventually it would have a national tour to be seen in smaller theaters across the country. I say smaller because I've worked in a lot of theaters that are very large and very small. And when you are, and by small, I mean like 200 seats, not like 2,000. When you're that close to the actors, when you, when you really relate to the protagonist's struggle, you see them live in front of you. And the protagonist becomes your surrogate and you are feeling her struggle. It becomes your struggle and it has such an impact on you. This is unlike movies. In theater, it has a permanent imprint on your heart. It's like memory foam, but the memory doesn't never goes away. You put the hand in and it stays down. That's the way the theater is. If you're there and you experience it live, you really hear that person breathing. You see them sweating. You see them up there really working there like gladiators fighting away at each other. And you and you finally see, oh, this is something that really affects me. And there is something I can do about this. I can go to my representative and I can say we have to find a way to end this. And we have to find a way to come together long enough to see if we can stitch together some sort of agreement. Well, I want to change the focus up now and and, and change the subject to you. And I want to start by asking you, what are your inspirations? What are some of your favorite shows, composers, or plays? Or what of those have inspired you as well? I like shows, as I said, with my own company that make me laugh and think at the same time. Some people don't like Sondheim. I love Sondheim. I think Into the Woods is just about as perfect as you can get. Uh, there's nothing wrong with Hello, Dolly. There's nothing wrong with going to a show and just having a good time. But my feeling is, particularly these days, when the cost of tickets are so high, particularly in New York, if you have forgotten about the show by the time you were leaving the lobby, then you've wasted your money. Um, yeah, you might have had a good time, but you could have stayed at home and watched Netflix. You know, you could have just, uh, and it would be a lot cheaper too. Now, if you have money to burn, fine, that's fine. Go ahead and go have a good time. And there's nothing wrong with having just a good time. But personally, I feel like there should be some sort of message that carries with you that makes you think longer than just the length of the show. So with me, it's usually Sondheim. And believe me, he also wrote a funny thing happened on the way to the forum, which is, you know, a true raucous comedy. Um, and you can do that too. That can laugh and that can stay with you as well. And I don't want to denigrate anybody else's personal experience or opinion about what is best or worst or anything. It's all subjective anyway. But for me, it would be something that combines the best of both worlds, both really entertaining and really thoughtful at the same time. I love that. What is your favorite part about working in the theater? Well, when it works well, there is a connection between what happens on stage and what happens in the audience. People think the theater is about the actors, and it's not. If you go to a movie, it's about things like the actors and the special effects and all that stuff. But actually, the theater doesn't take place on stage, and it doesn't take place in the audience. It takes place on that space in between the two. There is, on certain nights as an actor, you can feel it. There is a 
cord, almost a, a string, a connection between the audience and the actors. And when it's tight enough, when they're listening and when the actors are doing their job, it becomes so tight. I know this sounds very esoteric. You can almost play it like a bow and you can feel the vibration between the two. You can feel it when you're on stage and all of a sudden you hear 300 or 500 people go huh? together or they all go huh? at the same time. There is something communal that happens in the theater that cannot happen on Zoom, cannot happen in movies, cannot happen in anything where the actors aren't actually in the same room at the same time. Now, maybe in the future, they'll invent holograms or something that works. But for the time being, there is this, this connection and there is a community that happens in the audience. People don't realize it, but when you go to see a show, the actors aren't just listening to the other actors, particularly if the show has been running long enough. They're listening to the audience, particularly the first 15 minutes. And they're saying, where is this house going to land? Are they going to laugh? Are they not going to laugh? How can I get them to laugh? Or should I just give up? Is it one of the audiences where they're just, no matter what I do, nothing's going to happen. So my favorite part is that connection between the two. And that's where you really feel that you might be able to move someone to the point that their life is changed. I remember I was doing a production of a show called This Wonderful Life, which is the one-man version of It's a Wonderful Life, the film where I played everybody in Bedford Falls. It's 36 characters. It's a lot. And the show is about 70 minutes long. And after the show is over, I like to get out of costume as soon as I can and talk to the audience, see what they thought. And after I finished one production, I came out of the stage door. And there was a man there with what looked like his mother, uh, maybe. And then he had two children with him. And he said, do you mind if my mother talks to you? And I said, no, I'd love to. And she said, my husband died nine months ago. And I haven't left the house since then. I've been so despondent. And I didn't want to come tonight. But my son dragged me kicking and screaming. This is the first time I've left the house in nine months. And I felt my husband speaking through you. And because of what you did, I feel like my life can go on. I feel like I have a purpose now. And I went, wow, this is what we do it for. This is what it's all about, is, is you are able to change people's lives, hopefully for the better, and let them move on and give them hope for a better tomorrow. Oh my gosh, I love that. That was that's so beautiful. That leads me to my favorite question, which is, what is your favorite theater memory? My favorite theater memory. I was in London on Christmas Day and they were doing a production of Me and My Girl at a theater. I've forgotten which one it is. And the theaters over there in London are smaller than the ones usually here in the States. And everybody knows that show. Everybody in the audience knew that show. And when the orchestra, back when they used to do overtures, which we don't do anymore because the audience is too impatient, everybody's looking at their watch or looking at their cell phones. When they got to the tune of Me and My Girl, Me and My Girl, happy together, without cueing, the whole audience together started to sway left, right, left, right. Me and My Girl. And it was, it was like, I am in pig heaven. I am just like, oh my God. 
it would because every it was just such a great community and everybody wanted to be there and everybody was having a great time. So that's my favorite memory of all theater experiences. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Finally, if our listeners want more information about Bullet Points Musical or about you, perhaps they want to reach out to you. How can they do that? Okay. Well, we do have a website called bulletpointsthemusical.com. That's pretty straightforward. Um, If you want to send me an email, you can send it at info at newtuneentertainment.com. So that's N-E-W-T-U-N-E-E-N-T-E-R-T-A-I-N-M-E-N-T dot C-O-M. Info at newtuneentertainment.com. That will reach me directly. Or you can look at the website and you can read more about the show. Perfect. Larry, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today about this great show. I really appreciate it. It sounds amazing. So thank you. Oh, my pleasure. I wish I could stay longer, but I have a rehearsal and I've got to run. Totally fine. My guest today has been the composer, lyricist, librettist, director, and producer, Larry Daggett, whose new show, Bullet Points the Musical, is playing as part of the Create Theater New Works Festival, June 10th at 7 p.m. and June 11th at 2 p.m. at Theater Row. You can get your tickets and more information by visiting newworksfestival.org, as well as a few other contact points, which we'll be posting on our episode description and social media. But for now, head to newworksfestival.org. Hurry and get your tickets for Bullet Points the Musical, June 10th at 7 p.m. and June 11th at 2 p.m. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies, and keep talking about the theater in a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you.